Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Hello, everybody. Raj, it is good to see your smiling face again. It's been way too long. We took a, yes. uh, about a week and a half off. How are you doing, man? I am doing great. It is a Wednesday morning here. I, it's finally cold enough that I can wear a sweater. Like, I I feel great. Like, I woke up cold. I was like, yes, finally. It's been like 100, 101 degrees. But I am great. We've both been traveling, doing stuff, having fun. But uh, we're like 30 days out from the first preseason game. Can you believe that? Like, the summer's flying by. We had all these, like, off-season kind of, you know, goals and things to kind of uh, hit on in the podcast. And like 30 days away training camp is in like 25 days we're going to start getting quotes from training camp and all the people saying they're in the best shape of their lives you know all the stuff we hear at training camp is coming up soon but i'm doing great how are you doing man i'm doing good man um uh we is very similarly we got hit by the leftover remnants of a tropical storm last night that had come through okay. and hit mexico and so it rained and just cooled everything off um, I, we're heading into this at the time of the year for us where things start to get a little bit better, which is nice because summers in Arizona can be rough. Um, but yeah, it's funny because basketball, uh, as a basketball fan, there it was such a low point when the season was really heating up after that weekend. LeBron beat the Bucks and the Clippers, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was like the league's going away, and we have no idea when they're coming back. And then even when they were talking about coming back, they're like maybe we'll just skip the season and trash the CBA. And then you're like, oh, my, we might not see NBA basketball for months and months. And instead, we took three months off, and now it's been like nonstop basketball. And even this little break of an offseason we have is, is super, super quick. Uh, but for Laker fans in particular, it's nice because things ended way too quickly. I was actually joking with my wife the other day because you and I started doing these pod, these post-game shows, right? Mm-hmm. And and we were getting uh, great you know interest from that, and they were so much fun. But we only did them for like a month, maybe not even, because the yeah. Lakers lost fast. Like they got they got knocked out in the first round. And I told Carly, my wife, I was like, just so you know, like we're looking at like nine straight months of that happening, like three to four <laughs> nights a week, just so that you're aware. And she's like, no, no, I know it's okay. Uh, but anyway, we're uh, we're excited to talk some Lakers today. We're going to talk about uh, Rondo. Uh, and him coming back, what that means, what his job is going to be on this particular team, um, what he brings to the table. We're going to talk about what to do with that last roster spot. Uh, There's two openings still, but they plan on leaving one open, from what I understand. Uh, But then there's also the potential for Marcus Gasol to retire and how that can kind of throw an extra spot in there in the mix. Uh, So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, as I was looking up at the beginning, the Lakers win total for this season is only 51 and a half in both Raj and I think that's pretty low and we're going to discuss why uh, uh, there at the end. And then if we have some time at the end, we're going to touch on a little bit of this Kyrie Steph debate that was going around yesterday mm-hmm. on NBA Twitter. Uh, but let's start with Rondo. So, you know, it, it wasn't exactly a big surprise. Uh, you know, th- there was some intel pointing in that direction Obviously, the Lakers, even though the fan base had an inconsistent impression of Rondo, obviously the Laker organization loved having him. Uh, And the only reason they really let him go is because of Schroeder, it seems like. So, you know, uh, they they seem all pretty stoked about it. What was your initial, like, like snapshot takeaway when the Rondo deal happened? Were you surprised? Were you happy about it? Are you disappointed? What's your overall impression? Yeah, it felt inevitable after he was traded by the Clippers, right? It's kind of hilarious looking at 
how he got here. Like he got paid by the Hawks. Um, he got traded to the Clippers, gets traded to the Grizzlies, and then the Lakers just get him for the minimum. So basically he got paid to go do a one like a one year little tour around and come right back. And he said that this is where he wanted to be. Um, he didn't even have any other kind of suitors that he was even thinking about. He's a guy that raises the collective basketball IQ, right? That's what he does. Um, people are saying he's going to fill the Jared Dudley kind of role. We'll see with that. I think he's going to play more than Jared Dudley did. Um, Vogel definitely has an affinity for him, like just as a player and his like accolades as a player show up on this team. He's actually one of the younger guys, right? I think he joked in the interviews, like one of the bottom five youngest guys on the team, which is hilarious. And he has a chemistry with AD that's undeniable. To me, he had the biggest chemistry with AD, even including LeBron. Like that's that's how high of a chemistry he had with him. He found him on law passes. He's great for him, and he's not gonna. He talked about he's not gonna play as much, and that's easy to say in the middle of, in the end of August. Like it's really easy to say he's a guy that's shown that he wants to play, and I think he will um, in certain situations. But yeah, that was my first kind of initial takeaway. Like kind of looking at the trees to the forest, or however you say that. Um, he's kind of he's a guy that raises the collective basketball IQ, and he's just another smart guy to have on the team. There's negatives that he brings on the floor, but that's kind of my take. What do you what do you see from Rondo? So it's no secret that I'm I'm in the <laughs> the, the rare company of of Laker fans that were not overly swayed by his playoff run. Um, yeah. For the record, he was and you and I talked about this on the podcast. He was definitively better in the playoff run than he was in the regular season. So there was some uh, you know redemption there, so to speak. Uh, that said, I, I thought he was still a little inconsistent. I thought it was just kind of like, you know, in the regular season, you know, if you took a five game sample, there'd be four bad Rondo games and there'd be one good Rondo game. And I mm-hmm. felt like in the playoffs, it kind of went more to like a one to one kind of deal where, you know, one game he would look like playoff Rondo from the Celtics. And then the next game he'd be actively hurting the team, it seemed like. So and what kind of frustrated me about that experience is like, you know, when you have two stars like LeBron and AD, you just need people after them that don't mess things up. And so in those nights when he would, when he would be kind of gambling all over the place, getting out of position on defense, being super indecisive as an off ball shooter, but then at the same time driving into the paint, smoking layups right and left, like it just got really frustrating to watch just as a fan, Mm -hmm. you know, but that said, like I do, think it's it's very important that I personally acknowledge that he was very good at stretches in that playoff run his assist to turnover ratio is fantastic he was just shy of seven assists with just about two turnovers shot 40 percent from three in that playoff run he mm-hmm. he had a in the regular season his net rating was right around zero and in the, the later portion of the season he was way below zero he was hurting the team a lot but in the playoff run his net rating was just shy of plus six points per 100 possessions. So he did his job of not letting all hell break loose when LeBron would go to the bench, so to speak. So I, I do want to pay him his props in that regard. My main concern, and this is not exactly a big secret of, among uh, 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 you know the people in my camp who have been a little bit concerned about this, you know, I'm worried about him taking opportunities away from young players who are going to struggle with uh, getting a rhythm. You know, you know, what's really, really hard is when your opportunity is inconsistent. And if Rondo gets a big game in terms of minutes once or twice a week, that's just a little bit of a wrench thrown into Malik Monk or Kendrick Nunn's rotation and their opportunity that might hurt their confidence a little bit. And so my, my thing is like, we kind of ran into this issue last year, right? Where 
you're when you have, when you almost have too many guys to play, it mm. seems like it, it seems like everyone starts to struggle a little bit because their opportunities are inconsistent. And so that that's my one worry with Rondo is just whether or not he ends up, you know, kind of inadvertently uh, hurting Malik Monk or Kendrick Nunn by cutting into their opportunity and hurting their confidence a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I guess like my only counterpoint to that is like he's not out getting minutes over Russell Westbrook, right? Like Russell Westbrook's going to be the starting point guard. Like he's going to play the majority of minutes. If Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk can't beat out 35, however old Rajon Rondo is, 35-year-old Rajon Rondo for minutes, then we have a problem. Like, Kendrick Nunn should be able to outplay Rajon Rondo for minutes, at least in the regular season. In the playoffs, we'll see We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, like, that. that's my only my only counterpoint to that is that, like, those guys should be able to beat him out for minutes. Like, there's there's no reason that – and a little competition is fine. Um, I don't comp- I don't like to compare him, but like Dennis Schroeder is a better player than Rondo, right? Like Dennis Schroeder overall is a better player. But I think there's a difference between a guy that can pass and find, you know, Anthony Davis, for example, and a guy that's actively looking for him. And I think that's what Rondo does. It's a big yeah. and AD is a guy that his star level shouldn't really need for that. But it does. It's just AD is a guy that can really float and Rondo makes it almost his job on the floor to make sure he gets AD the ball in positions. Rewatching the playoffs, like there were so many plays where like AD would get in the post between a matchup and Rondo would just like, no, 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 we're clearing this whole side and we're getting the ball to AD. Like none of this, we're not doing anything else. I don't care what the play is. AD has a guy that's five inches shorter than him. We're getting him the ball and everyone else go to the other side of the floor. And those kind of things have a collective kind of dynamo effect to me on AD, even if he doesn't score on that play, just making him consistently involved. And I think that's something that Rondo does that, you can't teach and the kind of chemistry that they build, you can't buy on the free agency market, right? Like, like Jokic and Murray, again, not to compare them, but like Jokic and Murray have a chemistry build that you can't buy. It's, it, it's not available on the market. So those kind of things I think are um, invaluable that, that he brings. And, and again, those are all intangible, intangible things and it's hard to kind of value and he still can't really shoot. And, you know, but I just think there's a flair and a, we, we think of fearlessness in terms of shot, in terms of taking shots, right? Like there's a, like, oh, he's so fearless in the playoffs. He'll shoot, you know, he'll shoot whatever. But Rondo has a fearlessness as a passer, which I think is important. Like he, he's not scared to make that pass, you know, because in the playoffs, those reads need to be even a second quicker than they are in the regular season. And again, rewatching the playoffs, you're right. He wasn't great in a lot of these games, but his fearlessness as a passer really showed up to me, like where a guy has a seal and it's a quick throw. It's not like, oh man, Will this pass get there? You know, no, it's just a quick, once he sees the guy, um, like fronting, he'll, he'll throw it over the top, you know, stuff like that, that, uh, that you can't teach that he's just kind of been ingrained as a passer. So those are the things I think he really brings There's a lot of negatives. He still can't defend. I'm sure he's still going to take nights off. I know there's going to be Westbrook Rondo lineups that are going to drive you absolutely <laughs> crazy this season. I am absolutely sure of it. If you don't think Vogel is going to play Rondo Westbrook and LeBron lineups, you are fooling yourself because absolutely that's going to happen. But um, yeah, I think that I think he's uh, I think he's going to play less than he did in the title year. But yeah, I think I think it's great minimum signing. You know, he, he's getting paid by the Grizzlies to play for the Lakers. Like, what kind of what else can you ask for there? Yeah, his his passing ability I thought really showed in the NBA Finals against the Heat. Uh, in particular, mm-hmm. there was this chemistry with LeBron. The, the the two games that stood out to me were Game Two when the Heat stayed in the zone for the entire game, and then in Game Six when they were beating the living hell out of them. Uh, LeBron mm-hmm. and and Rondo just had this uncanny it almost reminded me of like if you played in a three if you've you've ever played in a three-on-three tournament there's always that team in there that's not super athletic or good but they're just 
remarkably smart at like cutting and screening and getting open shots just by 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 running basic NBA offense. LeBron and Rondo were doing that to the Heat in Game Six of the Finals, <laughs> just like just really detailed cuts and seals and things like that that were getting easy layups and. Rondo certainly brings that element to the table. And we're going to, in a second here, we're going to talk more about, you know, the other roster spots that have to get filled. And it's funny because, you know, um, I was uh, tweeting with with Pete from LFR the other day about this. And he said, and this is something that I agree with, he goes... <clears throat> It's easier to tell. Actually, this is a, I have to. I'm not. I'm not going to take a victory lap yet because we're not sure. But I'm going to kind of rub it in your face a little bit that I kind of <laughs> think that I might have been right about AD playing more at the five. But uh, anyway, he goes. The signings tend to make more sense through the lens that the Lakers are going to be going smaller because now what they have seven guards by my count. We have Monk and Nunn, Rondo, Westbrook, Tht. Um, uh, uh, from the Warriors, uh, Baysmore, that's Baysmore. six, mm-hmm. and then there's a set, there's a seventh that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Uh, oh, Ellington, Ellington. yeah, Ellington. Mm-hmm. So they have seven guards right now, and so you know, it, it would lend you to think that they plan on having some of those guys play minutes at the small forward. I don't know if that's going to be Baysmore and Tht or if it's going to be more of a traditional three guard type of deal. But it's clear that that's the direction they're heading. And one of the nice things from a depth perspective, you know, uh, Darius Soriano made the joke about the about Batman, uh, the Dark Knight, where mm-hmm. Joker breaks the pool cue and throws the two pieces of wood at the guys and goes like, hey, we're taking tryouts for the new team here, you know. And it's like that's mm-hmm. kind of the way that I see Vogel approaching this as I see him coming in day one of camp and looking at the guards you know, and just and and looking and saying, "Hey, hey, count count how many of the of you guys there are," and they all kind of look around at each other and they're like, "Oh, there's seven of us," and it's like, "Do you think all seven of you are going to play?" And they're going to be like, mm, "You know," and then it's going to be, "Hey, well, guess what? I'm playing the guys who defend." And you know, is that does that mean that they're going to all of a sudden start defending at a super high level? Not necessarily, but at the very least, you're going to get an effort and focus and an attention to detail from those guys on the defensive end of the floor by virtue of necessity. It's going to be almost like a survival instinct from them in terms of trying to stay in the rotation. Because even the guys, you know, you got guys like Rondo who sure as hell want to play. We saw the quote from him basically yeah. like throwing shade at Tyron Lou for not playing him a lot in the playoff run. But then you've Crazy. got guys like Monk and Nunn who they can't afford to fall out of the rotation. Because if they do, it could derail their careers. You know, Malik Monk, the difference between him signing a mid-level exception deal or bigger next year with another team or coming back to the Lakers or someone else on a minimum deal is going to have to do with how well he plays this year. And so it's very important for these guys to get playing time. And so it's going to drive a competitiveness in the guard core that's going to bring the best out of them, I think. And I think that 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 is the thing that is good, but it makes more sense in terms of your actual lineups. If you're looking at as seven guys filling three positions rather than seven guys filling two positions, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And again, you say guard, but I mean, like to me, most of those guys are like two threes, right? Like Bazemore, I think is going to play a lot of three. THT looks like a wing, at least from like his summer videos. Like I think he's going to play a lot of three. Look, I hope AD starts at center. Like I hope you guys are right. I'm just, when someone tells me something for a very long time, I've kind of listened to it. Like AD has been very clear about this. He will play eight. He'll play the five when he needs to. And like, 
a Tuesday game in Charlotte. I just don't see it. Like, I don't think he will. Maybe it's a mental thing for him. You talked about the, like the kind of, he's kind of lose. he's kind of losing the physicality battle anyway by playing the four, right? Like it's kind of detriment to him um, in, in, in that situation, but him mentally, he feels better playing the power forward and, you know, you kind of acquiesce to your stars sometimes and AD is a superstar on this team. And that's kind of how I see it. Um, but yeah, like I, I think he's going to still start at center. I, I don't know who's going to be the starting center, but I, until proven otherwise, like that's just how I think I, it will go. And Vogel has kind of said that he's fine with it as well. So, okay. it, it, well, it's it's my case for AD playing more at the center kind of derives from Marcus Gasol's hesitancy to come back. Because Marcus Hall's a competitor. Like that dude is like you don't go, you don't you're never you're not the defensive player of the year and a guy who takes that limited Memphis Grizzlies roster as far as he did all those years without being a freak competitor. Like the dude absolutely wants to come back to the Lakers and play. And the I personally think that the intel that came from Mark Stein, by the way, whether or not it wasn't some R.E. Abraham kind of deal. Like he said that he thinks that Marcus Saul might be retiring. And the reason why, in my opinion, is that I think Rob basically called him and said, Dwight and AD are splitting the center minutes. And so if you now what's silly to me about that from Mark's perspective is inevitably this year, AD's probably not playing back to backs, you know, uh, Dwight Howard's going to have some some little nagging stuff here and there where he's going to miss some games. Like there's still plenty of opportunity for whoever that is, whether it's Marcus All or DeAndre Jordan or, or Paul Millsap or whoever whoever the hell they signed to fill that role. That person's going to have opportunities to play this year. It's not it's not going to be you know just riding the bench all year long. It's not the same kind of deal as last year when we had all of those bigs. You know we basically had a five big rotation at that point. So. <clears throat> I'm not necessarily worried about that, but I do think that it's possible that Dwight starts and AD plays four to start the game. But I think that the it's been hinted pretty heavily that Dwight would quickly sub out and then AD would go to the five and then him and, and because even if AD, even if Dwight is the only other center that plays in theory, what's Dwight going to play like 20 minutes probably. You know, we talked about this the other day with Ellington. Like, 28 minutes is a lot of minutes. I don't think Dwight's going to play that much. I think he'll play somewhere in that 20 to 22-minute range. Well, mm-hmm. that means that there's another 28 minutes available at the center position during the game. And so it's very possible that AD plays the, those minutes. That's just my guess, though. But uh, So it seems to me that you think that the far more likely outcome is that they bring another center along and end up basically having them and Dwight share the center minutes. Exactly. So let me make my case for DeAndre Jordan. Now, I don't want I don't want, you know, fire sticks at my house or, or at my Twitter profile, whatever. Like, I totally understand. DeAndre Jordan was not great last year. You know, there were a lot of plays you can find where he's kind of staring around a lot of plays where he doesn't cut hard. I, I totally understand. Let me just make my case. First of all, I would like Marcus Saul over him. But Marcus Saul is 36 years old. OK, Marcus Saul turns 37 in the end of January. So he will be 37 going into the playoffs. Like that, that's just, so does that's LeBron, just what it is. By the way, in December. <laughs> yes. But, you know, Marcus Saul is not LeBron. He's not built like LeBron. He doesn't move like him. Doesn't have the body of LeBron. No one does. No one in the world has a body like LeBron. But still, like, you know, Marcus Saul isn't, he's not an athlete that's going to age all super great. Like his game may age gracefully, but his body, you know, is a slow kind of footed center. You saw even in the Spain games, you know, you know, he kind of comes off or his brother kind of comes on in for him really quickly. That's besides the point here. I'm not trying to 
Now, I don't need to bring down Marc Gasol to bring up DeAndre Jordan, right? But I'm just giving you the facts that Marc Gasol is an older player. He's 36, turning 37. DeAndre Jordan is 32, 32 years old. Same age, I believe, as Blake Griffin. Um, same age as Russell Westbrook. Um, he's just in that age of, like, these guys in their prime. Not in their primes, but, you know, he's a... He's in that age where he can still be effective at 32 years old. He was fourth in uh, field goal percentage last year. He's been in the top like five, I believe, for the last few years. He's a guy that finishes at the rim. He still can be a big-time lob threat. He fits that like physical kind of dominance right, that the Lakers are trying to build. Now, look, he, does he help the spacing shooting? No, absolutely not. But he's still a lob threat. Like I think that's still a vertical spacer, and I think they're going towards more of that in their bigs. Um, and he's, he can be a nominal center. Can he play 28 minutes a game? No. Can he play 25? Probably not. But can he play the 12, 11 to 12 minutes that JaVale was playing? Why not? Like, why not? In a new situation, I understand, like, those are his best friends, Kyrie, KD. Something obviously happened. He's getting benched for Jared Allen. Then he got benched for Speedy Claxton. Or I think that's his name, Speedy Claxton. I forgot. What's his actual name? Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton, sorry. Uh, Yeah, one of the Claxtons. Um, Yeah, he got benched for him. And totally makes sense. They went with the younger center. can kind of switch more. But I think with the Lakers scheme of wanting to just – put guys to the rim i think he fits that and this is going to be a transition running team anyway and a guy that can he's another great rebounder um he was one of the best defensive players um of his kind of generation when he was playing uh, back in 2015 he was voted the best defensive player over guys like anthony davis over tony allen i believe as well i'm um, just a guy that i think that fits and i i totally get he wasn't good last year like nets fans keep telling me this you don't want deandre jordan on your team and maybe i should listen because i didn't listen to the andre drummond stuff so maybe i should listen to the deandre jordan stuff but um yeah i feel like he can still be a nominal center at that uh, at what he is now and, and maybe again maybe he's not ready for that but like when I watch him play there's still stuff in there he still has emphatic dunks he can still really jump he he's, he can still roll when he wants to and I think in a new situation he can he can fit in what do you what do you think about it so for starters I don't, I don't really want to hear anything about what the Nets fans say about DeAndre Jordan because DeAndre <laughs> Jordan didn't fit into their identity you know like there you go. De- DeAndre Jordan as the super athletic rim spacing primarily defensive type of of center makes a lot more sense on a team like the Lakers where their identity is built around that sort of thing than it does mm-hmm. on a super finesse team like the Brooklyn Nets, you know, where he's the only guy on the floor who's really trying to physically bully people. So it's not really having much of an impact to begin with. You know, I'm actually pro signing DeAndre Jordan as well. And the the main reason why is like when you're looking at depth, so guys outside of your rotation, because I'm looking at this from a different perspective than you, because you're looking at it in terms of a ready-made rotation player because you think mm-hmm. AD is going to play the four. But from my perspective, even with AD primarily play, uh, playing the five or at least half the time and, uh, and Dwight getting those other five minutes, I still like DeAndre Jordan as a signing. And, and the main reason why is when you're adding depth, you can kind of look at it from two perspectives. You can either add a guy that's just like the guy in front of him, because in that case you can slot him in and play the same style and not have to worry about, you know, trying to rebuild your identity around a specific player. Or you can get somebody very different. Think like a Paul Millsap or a LaMarcus Aldridge, and you can have a kind of a curveball, a different, a different direction you can go to kind of change pace and mix things up. Uh, mm-hmm. in your rotation now specifically with the center position because when push comes to shove I think AD is going to play the five in the playoffs I think you probably agree with me there 
it, because yeah. of that, I'm less concerned about versatility at the center position. So I like the idea of DeAndre Jordan because if Dwight Howard goes down for a couple weeks and you need DeAndre Jordan to play, that's an easy slot in. You can get 80% of the Dwight experience from DeAndre Jordan and play the same style to carry you through the innings of the regular season. That's kind of the way I see it. Whereas with the guard position, which I do think they'll end up bringing one more wing type of dude if Marcus All retires, I think they will. Um, which would it, which Marcus All would have to retire for DeAndre Jordan to make sense to begin with. But right. in, in that case, because the guards are going to play in the playoffs, it, I think the versatility makes more sense. So I wouldn't want another, you know, uh, Malik Monk type of young guard who's kind of skinny, who's going to run and shoot a bunch of threes. That to me wouldn't make sense because you already have that in the guard core. You have multiple guys that kind of play that style. So I would prefer a Wesley Matthews there because he's very different than the other guards on the roster. He's more defensive minded. He's a savvy veteran player. He doesn't have anywhere near the offensive ceiling. He's not as good of a shooter. He's not as good at putting the ball on the floor. But he's a guy that you can slot into lineups, and he won't screw things up. He's a guy that's going to raise your floor, so to speak, with those lineups. So with with guys that I are going to primarily play in the playoffs, I'd go for versatility, that, like something different than what you have. And with the center position, I'd go for more of the same. And so, like, I, I don't like the idea of Dwight going down. And so now you throw Paul Millsap in there, and he's playing just a completely different style. And now the Lakers are having to change the way they play in a random regular season game in, in February because of, uh, you know, a little bit of injury, bad injury luck. So I'm with you. I, I'd go with DeAndre Jordan. At, at the end of the day, what, what he brings to the table as an athlete and his defensive pedigree from the past, which he's not the same as he was, obviously, but neither is Dwight. But for what you're going to ask him to do, to defend and pick and roll, to protect the rim, to run the floor, and to screen and roll to the rim hard and be ready to catch lobs, that uh, you can't pick a better facsimile of Dwight right now in the league than DeAndre Jordan. And so I think that that move makes a lot of sense in that regard. So I would agree with you. Yeah, and, and DeAndre's not Dwight Howard, right? He never was like the kind of caliber of player, but like a lot of the things you hear about DeAndre Jordan, very similar to what people are saying when the Lakers signed Dwight back in twenty nineteen, right? Like he um he's not motivated anymore, you know, he hasn't been good, wasn't good on the Wizards. And DeAndre Jordan was paid to be the starting center on the Nets. Like that's what the contract he was given. He obviously is not ready for that anymore. And again, he's not going to be a huge big time minute starter. He's not going to be part of this big three or big four or whatever. But again, a guy that can run, dunk, and put in a specialized role, I think he can be effective. We saw it with Dwight. Dwight can't play 30 minutes probably anymore. Like he's not effective when he does that. But you put Dwight in a 15 to 20 minute role, he can dominate. He can, you know, kick the kick the living hell out of you for for those minutes. And I think DeAndre Jordan can kind of do the same thing. Um, I don't think you lose that. And I think there's a competitiveness there when you've been good as DeAndre Jordan has been in his career. So I just, that's my only take there. I'm not saying he's better than Marcus Saul or nothing. I'm just saying like, why can't he fill the JaVale few minutes a game? I mean, the Lakers obviously like that look, um, no matter what the spacing does, whatever it does, it obviously gives AD some kind of, you know, assurance in his head that he feels better about starting, you know, at the power forward position. And, and you brought up all those guards. We didn't even talk about Trevor Reza. We didn't even talk about Carmelo Anthony, who's going to play us well. All these dudes, again, who are three fours that are going to fill in 
um, which is why I would be okay with getting a center because I feel like the guards and even the wings, um, I would probably like, I like Wes Matthews as well. Like that would be an awesome pickup for me if we can bring him back. But again, we have already have a glut at that position, especially in the playoffs, which is why I'd be okay with bringing on the center, um, especially if Gasol decides to hang it up because then you only have Dwight Howard and AD as your centers. Like that's, those are your two centers. You're not going to play Carmelo at the five. Um, you're not going to play Ariza at the five. So that's why I'd be okay with this. And then you still have um, another roster bot, spot open. So that's that's kind of where I would go with it. And they're playing – it seems like they're saving that for the buyout market anyway, which I, which my guess would be they'll use that in reaction to whatever significant injury happens over the course of the year, which is bound to happen to somebody, hopefully not anybody overly important. Uh, right. But, yeah, no, I agree with you. And I'm not worried about versatility with DeAndre Jordan because at the end of the day, if you're playing a game – and the Dwight thing isn't working out for some reason, like Dwight's getting killed up and down the floor, you're not going to be like, oh, well, DeAndre Jordan's going to go in there and do better. Like, no, you're going to default to Anthony Davis at the five, and mm-hmm. you're going to play some other lineup to make that work. So I'm not I'm not concerned about versatility from that regard. And, you know, in terms of just overall talent that you can add for a veteran minimum contract as like your 14th roster spot, I don't think you can do any better than DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I think that that's about as good as it gets. Um do you have anything else you wanted to discuss in terms of the extra roster spot before we move on to the win total? Uh, no, I think that's good. I think uh, I think this will pretty much be the roster. Uh, maybe one of those those kind of guys on two ways can make the roster, one of those young guys. But other than that, I think I think this is the team, um, and and we can kind of dive into that in the future as well. Yep, I agree. We're one month away from uh, from getting into that. So, um, you know. Win totals are interesting because there's a bunch of different factors. You know, Vegas is not a hard or fast rule in terms of what, you know, their super, super smart, you know, uh, algorithm, you know, analytics dudes come up with in terms of what a team is going to be. It's that in combination with what they anticipate the public to bet heavily on. It's that in combination with them trying to bake in a little bit of injury risk. You know, a team that's a little bit more injury prone is going to have a little bit more, a little bit lower win total because Vegas is prepping for that sort of thing. So there's a lot of different angles that go into it. However, 51 and a half, which is what the Lakers over under is right now, strikes me as super low. And I have to, I'd have to look it up because I don't remember for sure. But I think it was 51 and a half in that 2020 season that they won the title as well. Yeah. Um, and I remember because I remember it was like 50. I think it was right around 50, 51. But it was also fifth place in the West, if you remember. Yeah. But, thi- but this year, they're tied with the Jazz for number one in the West in terms of their over-under. And so it's super interesting. So like a couple things. I think it's important to to understand what the Lakers did the previous two years. And then I also think it's important to understand what's different about this year. So two years ago, this was a core part of my LeBron should have been the MVP case. Mm-hmm. The Lakers were at a, a going into the bubble right, right after they beat the Clippers on that Sunday in March. The Lakers were on, on a 64 win pace. Okay, that was what that was the pace at which they were winning games through the point of the shutdown. Then they went into the bubble and and weren't trying and they went three and five. So threw it off a little bit, but they were at a 64 win pace. Then this year before the Anthony Davis injury, they were 21 and six. 21 and six is guess what? A 64 win pace in a full length season. Now this season I'm getting 
a normal training camp with normal practice and normal rest, which is going to favor older teams because the schedule isn't as intense uh, working day to day as things kind of drag on. Then I also have Russell Westbrook, who is arguably the best regular season motivator in league history. I don't know that you could tell me of a single player that's going to give a shit more night in and night out against random teams than Russell Westbrook. And so for me, if they stay healthy, 65 is very much on the table, you know, and that's counting the fact that they might be at a high 60s pace and then let their foot off the gas at the end of the year if they have the one seed locked up. I think that's very possible. My guess is if you put a gun to my head and said, how many games do you think they're going to win? I'd say 60. And that's based on Anthony Davis taking some rest games. Same with Russ and LeBron. The rust thing also adds this weird element where they're just a little bit more capable of winning games if Anthony Davis is out. For instance, like, you know, with LeBron and Dennis, they were able to get some wins. But with Mm -hmm. LeBron and Russ, they're just going to be able to get more wins in the days that Anthony Davis sits out and vice versa. Like a LeBron out game was like a guaranteed loss last year or close to it, although they ended up scrounging together some wins there in that little stretch with Dennis Schroeder. But with with Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, you got a chance to win some games there. So even they even have a little bit of baked in injury, you know, buffer in that regard. And so to me, what it would take for them to win 52 games, which is what they would need to hit the over is is very much in play. And, you know, parity is absolutely a thing. And it's it's very true in NBA history. This is one of the things that I hate about when you see in the LeBron MJ debates when they go, oh, well, LeBron beat fewer sixty win teams than than MJ did. And it's like, uh, lots of sixty win teams is a sign of a weak league, not a sign of a strong league. It means that they're beating the heck out of guys night in and night out and stacking up wins. You uh, a, a, a league with parity has more teams in the fifties than it does teams in the 60s that's just the way that it works that said I think the Lakers are considerably better than the teams beneath them in the West I think they're better than Utah I think you'd agree with me they're better than Denver uh, without Jamal Murray by a by a lot same goes with the Clippers with Kawhi being hurt you know the Phoenix Suns the Lakers are going to take that matchup very personally this year it's easy to see that they're going to be the better team most nights that they're on the floor they're gonna lose some games but I, I, I tend to think that 60 is very much in play, and could, I wouldn't be surprised if they hit 65. What about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I think if you look at like just the over-unders in general, they didn't give anyone too many wins, right? They're, they're really believing in this like, parody league, kind of this balanced-out league, right? We just saw the Milwaukee Bucks win the title over you know Kevin Durant and, and the Brooklyn Nets. So it's kind of, that's all kind of baked in. You bake in injuries, you bake in um, players sitting more, all that stuff. I agree with you. They should be able to run off a bunch of wins. Um, at 21 and six. I didn't even realize that that was like a 65 win pace. Like just when it was happening, it just didn't, didn't feel that way. It's 77% um, winning percentage, believe it or yeah. not, 21 and six. Yeah. And that was with like AD kind of, you know, hobbled and out of shape and stuff like that. And you talked about Russ as this like big time motivator in the regular season. He's not just that. He's also motivated himself this year, right? Like he has an extra even boost of motivation because he's on a new team and wants to prove that he's part of this, you know, winning kind of formula. So I think he'll be great for the whole team. The motor, you have a bunch of new guys, a bunch of young guys trying to trying to prove each other. But yeah, like when you just look at that, they also bake in that, you know, Laker fans are going to go and, you know, slam the over or whatever, you know, Vegas is <laughs> Vegas is very smart in the way they um, that they kind of do. But dude, in theory, if they're slamming the over, 
it would be higher because yeah. they would want to bake it. That's what that's what's so crazy about that line. Yeah, and I think it will raise like by the time. So if you want to go bet that, you should probably do it now. Um, <laughs> if you can get it at the fifty-one, but yeah, I agree with you. They should be able to get more wins um, now that. But again, like this is all baked into how many, like to me, this all just coincides with the point that we've been making all summers. It's like, this is the year of Anthony Davis to me like that. This is the year of AD. Like this is where he needs to show he's one of the top five players. You know, there's been a lot of talk. Like, oh, is he even top 10 and stuff like, like this needs to be his year. And this all gets baked into that. If he's himself, um, I think this team can run off, run off a bunch of wins and, and they have the talent to do it. They have young guys, they have motivated guys that are, that are a little bit older. So I think they can, man. And Russ has talked about it. He's ready to kind of run off run off a bunch of wins and even lebron i think is a little bit more motivated than than last year there was a there was a seriousness there was a tone that was lacking last year that i feel like we'll see we'll see this year so so i agree with you they should hit that over and if, if you want to go bet that you should because i'm sure that number is going to rise by the time we get to get to training camp so the journey to the secret is i never bet over unders literally because <laughs> i'm not patient enough i hate the idea oh, yeah, of like letting either. money disappear for that long even if it's like 50 bucks or something <laughs> i actually bet an over under for the first time ever the other day with a buddy of mine because he asked me to the over under mm-hmm. for the university of arizona football team was two and a half <laughs> this year so they just need to win three games they're the uva football team is terrible but anyway oh, okay. but we both got season tickets for like 50 bucks so we literally are uh are we bet the over under so we can see if they can win three wins but anyway it's weird it's like you put I bet 75 bucks on it and uh, I won't see that money if they, uh, unless until December if they win like you know like that, mm-hmm. that's what's so weird about it um, but I I think the one craziest thing this is Tim Bontemps which by the way this is classic oh, Tim Bontemps but he goes like you know what do we know about LeBron in, in year one with a new team like it it usually is a little bit rough and I want to be like LeBron and AD have played together for two years now and have already won a championship like like uh, they had all those new players last year it was, last year was exactly the same yeah they brought back kcp tht that kind of thing but for the most part the rotation was stocked with all these new guys marcus all montrez harold dennis schroeder wesley matthews all these new dudes and they started 21 and 6 and like the wildest part about that 21 and 6 start and you touched on this ad was freaking somewhere else mentally that entire stretch okay lebron didn't touch a basketball the entire offseason like like he basically just took time off for rightly so because he won a title on october 11th and then started playing in december but the point being like for whatever reason the people are are like talking about these concerns having to do with that continuity and i'm like Dude, push comes to shove. LeBron and Anthony Davis know what they're doing, and all these other dudes have smaller roles. Dennis, uh, Dennis, uh, uh, Russ, uh, Russell Westbrook has the biggest kind of new thing to to fit in with this group, but he's more or less going to do the same thing that Dennis Schroeder did, which is control the pace of the game to bring the ball up the floor. And it, 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 early in the season last year, the Lakers were force feeding Dennis and begging him to do stuff, which. Also was part of the reason why I thought Anthony Davis struggled a little bit. But, you know, and this I'm interested to hear your take on. LeBron is always loud and in your face with what he's doing. So he's one of the few guys that when he tweets, you know, like 5.45 a.m., time for work. Like he's that guy that when you do that, when he does that, like it actually happens every day. <laughs> you know, like whereas yeah. there's a great deal of players that are like, oh, I put I put in work today, and it's like the first time they went in three days. You know what I mean? Like the, LeBron's not that guy, but I do think it's super interesting to me 
that Anthony Davis has been very quiet this summer. Um, even to the point where Russell Westbrook and LeBron did a workout without him at one point, which I don't think he deliberately avoided. I'm sure it was just a scheduling conflict. But I do think it's super interesting that Anthony Davis has had a quiet summer. What are your thoughts on Anthony Davis basically falling off the edge of the earth this summer? Yeah, I mean, he he does. Like, okay, so Russ and LeBron are super loud <laughs> personalities, right? They're, they're guys that jump off the screen at you. You'll know when you'll know when Russ has a bad game. Good, You're going to know. Like, he's going to be in your face. He's going to be on the referee. You know, all that. Anthony Davis has a more, like, toned-down kind of approach. I think he's more laid back. Um, I think he loves the L.A. lifestyle, but he doesn't want to be on social media all the time. It's not like he posts, like, crazy unless it's, like, his commercials and stuff. And I don't think you need to – that's not to confuse his competitiveness. Like you don't get to Anthony Davis's level without being a super fire competitor. You know, that's just how it goes. And I think he understands um, he's, he's not dumb. He's read the tea leaves. He's read what people are saying and, and he knows he can't do anything over the summer to prove it wrong. So um, again, this, I go back to that 2019, 2020 season, like that AD was a monster every single night like it wasn't like oh ad had a good game and then had three you know sub no it was like 25 and 12 and then 28 and 13 and then 32 and 15 and and all the stuff about oh how is rondo and danny green gonna defend no it doesn't matter there's lebron and ad kicking your ass every night i remember when they went into utah and utah you know they weren't great but utah is a tough place to play and it looked like a joke like ad was absolutely eating gobert for breakfast lunch and dinner because 40 something that's the capability that he's having. And I'm listening on the Utah broadcast. Cause I like to listen. They're like, well, well, like, what are you going to do? AD did a, you know, dribble through step back, you know, dunk on Gobert. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> and that's the type of stuff that he can do because that's a talent that he has. And last year, look, there's a lot of, I don't want to say excuses, but reasons, you know, you get a title super short off season, um, you know, and there's like the motivation factor is gone. And I think this year, AD missed a lot of games. Like he really did. Like he was out from February, was never himself again. He had a few good games that game against the Suns where he screamed, I'm back, you know, stuff, stuff like that. There were little parts and moments, but nothing like that previous season where it was nightly. It was every single night in Portland. Dame and CJ, are you kidding me? Like, no, we're going to – I'm absolutely dunk on you every time because that's what I can do. And so, like, that's that's the AD I want to see again. And then he understands that. He's not dumb. He's a guy that's been in top MVP votes, and he's the guy that should be in Defensive Player of the Year awards every year. Like, that's the guy I think is there, and we'll see again. And this stuff – but, like, it's funny because you talked about, you know, no, Russ and LeBron are so big personalities that, like, Carmelo just gets put to this, like – Oh, he's just going to come in and be like a three. And this is Carmelo freaking Anthony on the team. And it's like, they posted him as a Laker yesterday. They posted his like photos and him shooting at the gym. I'm like, this is absurd. He's like the eighth story on this team. It's like, Oh yeah. Also Carmelo's on the bench. I'm like, bro, that's Carmelo Anthony. Like who was starting for the Blazers last year. So it's just, you're right though. LeBron and Russ take so much of the oxygen in the room that like you forget sometimes about AD, about Melo, about all these other guys who have super strong, even Dwight is a strong personality. It's not like he's, he goes quiet into the night either. So it, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting season, man. We're going to have an unlimited amount of things to kind of engage on here. Yeah. You and I have talked off the record or off the air a few times about how this season is just going to be so much fun to cover. It's not even man. funny. Anthony Davis has so many good reasons to be motivated. You know, like he had a bad year in the regular season, uh, right. And he lost in the first round. He had his moments in that series, but he also got outplayed beyond by DeAndre Jordan in game one, which was kind of a big uh, swing swing moment of that series. And uh, uh, then then the player that he's most compared to, Giannis, goes and wins finals MVP and drops 50 in game six and is literally, 
you know, the bell of the ball, so to speak, for for the last few months and getting all this love. And it's like, hey, AD, like, what have you been up to? You just had one of the worst seasons of your career. So, like, there's a lot of reasons why Anthony Davis should come into this year very motivated. He's been very quiet. He's traditionally he's very much more Kawhi than he is LeBron in terms of the way he handles himself off the court. Like I didn't even know he had a kid until, until he came to the Lakers. Like that's just kind of the way that that he carries himself, which I have a great deal of respect for. I have no problem with that. It just has been different and interesting. Um, But he has, he has a great deal of reasons to come into this year caring a lot. And, you know, and I I do think that that stuff matters and especially the Giannis thing. Cause like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Steph Curry came out and lit the world on fire the year after LeBron won his fourth finals MVP. I think that these guys sit at home and when they see their rivals uh, uh, having moments, I think they take it personally and they, and they, and they use it as a fire to go to the next level. I, you know, we just talked a lot about AD. I very much expect LeBron to be an MVP candidate this year. There's way too many people writing him off as like this, you know, this is the year that Anthony Davis is going to come back and go off. You know, Russell Westbrook, there was Royce Young did his big thing with LFR and he talked a lot about how teams take on the personality of Russell Westbrook. I, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens when he joins the Lakers. And I, I'm, for the record, I'm very interested in seeing that as well. But meanwhile, LeBron, you know, has been very out in the open over the last couple of weeks and. Uh, he made a joke about being on house arrest for the next month, getting ready for training camp the other day on Instagram. Like the dude is taking this off season very seriously as well, which is something he hasn't done in a couple of years because of his groin injury and because of his ankle injury. Like LeBron, guess who stole the show from him last season? His two biggest peers at the position, Giannis and Kevin Durant. Even Kawhi had a fantastic playoff run before his ACL got torn. So there are going to be people around the league that think he's the fourth best small forward in the league right now. You know, like they're, they're, at a certain point, you know, I wouldn't, I think this is going to be LeBron's last great, great, great season. That's not to say that he won't still be good next year to some extent, but like, I think this is his last uh, like his last just masterpiece of a season. And I, and, and I, so I, I think as a Lakers fan, there's more, more reason to bet the over, by the way. But I, I just see, I think there are so many reasons why this Laker team could be so good. And some of the pessimism surrounding them doesn't actually make a ton of sense to me. But um, but yeah, I, 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 I would certainly, there, there's room for all of them to succeed. You know, like Anthony Davis can get defensive player of the year, get MVP votes and LeBron can get MVP votes. The best case scenario, ironically, would be like 2017 Golden State where Steph and KD both finished like fourth and fifth in MVP voting. Because what that means is neither of them are getting the award, but both of them probably should. They're just not getting it because they're on the same team, which is what you want. That means that both players are playing to the absolute peak of their ability. And I think that that's very much in play. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about uh, that in particular before we move on to our last topic? Yeah. My last thing on that is like, it's funny looking at Le- LeBron's been a Laker for three years. Right. And two of them have pretty much been uh, derailed by injury. Right. The first year he heard on Christmas. Um, I think he tried to come back, but I- I'm not sure. I don't think he did come back. And then the, the third year is, you know, he got injured. Um, Solomon Hill went to his, his ankle and he got high ankle sprain and he was never really himself after that either. So, 
the one year he was healthy, they won a title. So to me, like, that's the main thing here. LeBron staying healthy pretty much equals a finals run for the last, what, 12, 13 years, however long his, his reign has been since he went to the finals. Like, a healthy LeBron pretty much equals a finals more than anything has ever equaled one. So that's my whole thing here is that if LeBron stays healthy, I think he puts as much work into his body as he does puts as much, you know, million dollars into his body, whatever, does the training. Like you said, wakes up at 5 a.m., uh, will tweet out the workout, and then will tweet, Zach Levine, welcome to Clutch. You know, he'll do all that stuff, which is funny looking at that. But, yeah, like, to me, it's all health for him. And if he's healthy, there's no one you would take over him in a series. Yep, I 100% agree with you. Um, so our last topic, we have about 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes here. Um, so basically, uh, Mike James, who was a backup point guard for the Brooklyn Nets last year, if I remember correctly, tw- tweeted out basically that he thought Kyrie Irving was the most skilled point guard in the league. And it turned into this whole uh, you know shit show on Twitter because Steph Curry has such a ravenous fan base. And uh, it became like this whole other thing. And I don't even think Mike James would say that Kyrie's a better basketball player than Steph Curry. But for whatever reason, that those two topics got conflated. And it became this whole thing. Uh, but it's been an interesting... The reason why I brought it up to you is something that I wanted to talk about today is it's become uh, actually kind of like the latest proxy war in this like long-term uh, uh, debate that I've been having with people about the difference between like impactfulness and skill. And it's complicated because like uh, everybody... I-, I tend to think that everyone's offensive ability is a combination of three things. It's your skill, the things that you go into the gym and craft through practice and repetition and dribbling the ball off your foot 17 times so that the 18th time you don't dribble the ball off your foot and working on all these different floaters and angles and things along those lines. That is part of it. And then another part of it is your IQ, your ability to read a defense so that you can consistently find the best opportunities to shoot. And then the third part is your physical tools. What are your God-given traits that give you the ability to utilize those skills at a higher level than somebody who doesn't have the same uh, uh, physical tools. And, you know, what's funny is, you know, Steph Curry, I think we, I think you and I both agree is like a tier one, super, super duper star, right? And, And Kyrie's something else. He's in that third tier of stars, maybe fourth tier. You might find someone who thinks he's in the second tier, but he's certainly not the same level player as as Kyrie or as Steph excuse me but what's interesting is like everyone associates that skill set your bag so to speak as the only indicator of what you do on a basketball court and it's interesting to me because like what makes Steph a tier one super duper star actually has only only partially has to do with his shooting you know his that's his elite skill that he brings to the table but what makes him the tier one super duper star is he defends extremely well at a position that most people don't defend. Well, he is willing to work off the ball, which has unlocked the success, the success of his team as a whole. And then in general, he's very good at weaponizing his shooting to get easy shots. So he doesn't have to do the things that Kyrie Irving does to get a shot off. That's all to say that Steph is a very much better basketball player than Kyrie. However, Kyrie is a slightly better ball handler, in my opinion. He's a, a, a considerably better at finishing varying types of layups around the rim over contests. 
And because he shoots differently, he shoots at the top of his shot. Steph shoots on the way up. He's trying to sneak it on you. Whereas Kyrie elevates and shoots at the top of his release, that gives him a little bit better opportunity to score off the dribble in the mid range. As a like, he can attack from the post. He can go into like spin moves and elevate over contests to make shots. Those are three very specific skills that I think Kyrie is slightly better than Steph at. And that doesn't mean he's a better basketball player. And I think it's ridiculous that those things get conflated into two separate things. And I, it's it's the same reason that I think LeBron is a better player than KD, despite the fact that KD is more polished in certain areas of his game. I, am I crazy for thinking this way? Do you think Steph fans are out of line here? Where are you at on this <laughs> Yeah, no, you're better at articulating this stuff. Like for me, like this very comes very close to like the Hooper basketball player, kind of close, right? Like kind of like that kind of conversation to me like you talked about Steph like if Steph was just an elite shooter like he wouldn't he would be a great player he wouldn't be the tier one star he is right to me what makes Steph like a generational player is like he not only can he shoot he can also dribble he can go by you you have to guard him everywhere on the floor because he can not only curl off screens he can also fake get to the rim finish at the basket he can fake find guys at the like to me that's what makes Steph a generational player it's not just his shooting you know, Reggie Miller was a great shooter, but Steph is like, he has the handle. He can behind the back, step back three on you. And it's a good shot. Like he made those shots, good shots. He changed the game in that way. I guess like for me, it's like the difference between having the ability, right? The skill and translating it to a five on five winning scenario to me. Like, I guess that's how I see this conversation, right? Like Kyrie has every skill in the book. Um, I was listening to Brian Winhorst, the hoop collective. And he asked Kyrie, like, how do you make these rich shots? He's like, I looked on YouTube and then like I practiced these like crazy bank layups and look, that's amazing. But like, does that help? Does that like help you win in a five on five scenario? I don't know how much that helps or loses. But again, like that's the difference here. Steph bends defenses in a way where like he can read kind of where it's going, kind of understand the tempo of the game, know where the game needs to go to. Those are kind of things to me that like separate you as a basketball player. That's why LeBron's in the top two best players ever because he not only can score, he also knows when it's right to play make. He knows, you know, how to play deep, you know, when to play great deep, like all that stuff kind of is baked in. And that's the difference to me. Like Jamal Crawford has every skill in the book as well, but is he a top tier, you know, superstar? No, because he doesn't bend defenses the same way. He he, he has one skill, which is scoring, which is great. It's just like, he doesn't do it the same way. That's how I see it. It's harder for me to articulate stuff than, this stuff than you are, but like, that's kind of how I say, do you see it that way as well? Kind of this translation into like, five on five winning basketball is different than just being have the skill like Kyrie does to do two dribble crossover through the legs, step back, fade away jumpers that like, you know, a team can scheme out eventually. I think you articulated it just fine. I mean, (laughs) what, what, what is the point if it's not to win a five on five basketball game, you know? And, and for the record, those things that Kyrie does, they do bring value just in a different way. And it's usually in, in very, very focused scenarios. Like it, it, at the specific thing which is game tied at 89 and it's game seven of the finals and there's one minute left and you uh, run a screen with J.R. Smith to get a switch onto Steph Curry Kyrie Irving is going to be one of the best guys in league history in that specific scenario but the point is is over the length of the game you know one of the most common series used by Kyrie fans to say Kyrie's better than Steph is the 2016 finals and they go Kyrie flat out outplayed Steph 
on the biggest stage to win the championship so Kyrie's better that that's their logic and it's flawed in so many different ways not not the least bit was the fact that Steph was hurt in that series and that Kyrie when his knee was acting up in later points in his career he had uh, also didn't look great at basketball in those moments but also within that series Steph was the top of the food chain the entire Cavalier defense was thrown at him Whereas mm-hmm. Kyrie, when he was uh, uh, having his moments with uh, with the ball in his hands, it was more like LeBron ran the show two-thirds of the time, uh, attracted all the defensive attention, made all the decisions, did everything, and was their best defensive player, but would just hand the ball to Kyrie about once every three possessions, and he would take some rest on the other side of the floor, and Kyrie mm-hmm. would attack Clay Thompson in one-on-one defense with very little help. And that was his job, and Kyrie did great in that job, but he had an easier job, a significantly easier job than what Steph did in that series and so that's why I've always had a huge problem with that the book is out on Kyrie Irving we have too much evidence of what it looks like when he's at the top of the food chain the way that Steph is when Steph is at the top of the food chain you get league MVPs you get championships even if you throw out the Kevin Durant years he got a championship in 2015 and won 67 games that year and won 73 games the following year we know what it looks like when Steph is the guy we also know what it looks like when Kyrie's the guy, and it's very different. But that said, it's it's also okay to acknowledge that Kyrie is better at those very, very, very specific skills that are significantly less valuable. And I think, you know, and lastly, as far as the shooting goes, it, it, too often people gloss over it. They'll be like, oh, well, you know, Steph's, Steph's a better shooter. Kyrie's better at the other stuff. It's like, uh, he's <laughs> so, 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 so much better as a shooter. He's so so monumentally better than every single one of his peers at that specific skill that it actually makes for a significant gap in the way that they impact the basketball game. It's the same thing with LeBron and KD. You you go, well, KD's better at this, 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 and this, but LeBron's a better passer. It's like, actually, LeBron's one of the best passers in league history, and that actually makes up a significant gap in the things that they can do as scores. You know what I mean? Or, you know, Le- LeBron's better at the rim, but KD's better from the perimeter. Okay, well, LeBron literally shoots like 80% at the rim, e- even at his old age in the playoffs. So, like, at a certain point, like, you have to account for that's a gigantic chasm in the way that they perform at that very specific thing. And so, I, I and to your point, it's all about what you do in the five-on-five. Uh, what you do in one-on-one, that's fantasy basketball because that doesn't exist anywhere on, in, in, in the NBA. It's all about right. what you do in a five-on-five setting, not just in one possession, but over the 60, 70, 80 possessions that happen in a basketball game or depending on the pace in any given game. Those are the things that actually matter. And so looking outside of that realm to me is just a waste of everybody's time. So, like, uh, not to bring this full circle, but you, you said how, like, the book is out on Kyrie, right? Like, as a number one option, right? Like, you kind of know what you're getting. You could kind of say similar things about Russell Westbrook, right? Like, as a number one option, you know what that kind of looks like, right? We've seen the playoffs. We see the bad shooting kind of come to the forefront when he is the main high usage, high level only shot creator. But, like, when you watch the Nets and when Kyrie's the third option, it looks absolutely unstoppable. You're like... You have, you have a KD fire going here. You have a Harding fire going here. And then you're supposed to guard Kyrie, who's maybe one of the best one-on-one players ever. And it just looks unfair at times. People are like, oh, I got to throw my third best defender on Kyrie. Like, what? this is kind of unfair. He's cooking this guy, you know? So that's kind of the interesting point to me is, like, when I look at that from a Westbrook realm as well, like Westbrook has a third option kind of thing where can he thrive doing that as well? So I just bring in that full circle. Like, you're right. There's 
Kyrie has a lot of kind of flaws in terms of a five on five team game. And you're right. There's no one on one situations, but in a five on five game, there are one on one situations that do come up and, and, sure. and it's not, and it's not as much in the playoffs, right? In the playoffs, teams are a lot more locked in. They kind of are schemed out. You, you're not playing one-on-one in the playoffs because everyone knows what everyone's doing. But in the regular season, there are one-on-one situations where Kyrie can kind of create. And I'm interested just from that kind of situation where to see Westbrook, who also, you know, as a number one option, had his flaws. But, you know, again, next to LeBron, which is funny. Like, they both kind of want Le- Kyrie, obviously, won with LeBron. And now Westbrook gets his chance. Um, as a third option, I'm interested to see him. Um, in that role too but yeah it's an interesting conversation man Steph I think is another tier than Kyrie I don't think you'll get a lot of pushback from that um, I, I think the skill versus uh, I think I think what Mike James is talking about is a different conversation like it just is Kyrie is probably more offensively just has more total package in his bag but can you pull that out in a game and I think that's what you're saying right like your bag can be full but if it has a zipper closed on it for a lot of it then what's the point i guess so like that that's the distinction there um i agree with you on that it's been the case for lebron his entire career is like you never are wondering where he's at on the floor on mm-hmm. defense he's the one on the back line communicating everything and disrupting everything at the rim on offense even when he doesn't have the ball he's kind of pointing guys around telling them where to go it's a it's an impact every single possession of the game and Steph is the same way because if Steph wants to go rest for a possession in the corner all he has to do really is come off of a pin down and he's going to draw two guys and then everyone else can kind of do their thing so the the value is 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 impossible to quantify in just a one-on-one skill set you know it's the latest example of how crazy fans are because you know, like I, I'm, a, I'm a huge LeBron fan, man. Like LeBron got me into basketball. Like I'm as big a LeBron fan as you'll find. Not, I, I, I'm not one of those crazy guys who will tweet out the Ten Commandments of LeBron or anything like we saw last uh, a couple months ago. But at the end of the day, like I'm a big LeBron fan. Hey, guess what? I think Kevin Durant's better at shooting than him, and I think he's a better ball handler, and I think he has a more polished scoring package. Like like there are a lot of things that I think LeBron's not as good at as some of his peers. That doesn't mean I don't think he's still the best player. It's it's okay to to try to be kind of reasonable about this stuff and discuss you know the totality of a player's uh, package on the basketball court rather than just you know uh, being what you and I have talked about a lot a lot this past month being yes men and just like valiantly coming to the defense of absolutely anything involving a topic regardless of 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 any sort of objectivity but anyway is there anything else you wanted to say today before we call it a day man no i think that's good uh season's gonna be coming soon so uh get ready it's like uh 30 days away i think from october 3rd is the first preseason game so maybe like 32 days but yeah we're going to pick it up here for sure. Yeah, and we're going to do a mailbag probably Friday. So uh, uh, Raj and I will tweet something out maybe tomorrow and get some questions from you guys, and then we'll just do a full podcast that we just do mailbag questions um, uh, later in the week. But Raj, I appreciate you as always. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will get this one uploaded to the podcast feed here shortly. Thanks, everyone.